Family Shield Ministries Network, we have a very precious opportunity to have a conversation once again with the incredible Reverend Dr. Gary Chapman. That's one of those names that if you're in ministry, you know exactly who it is. If you're not in ministry, if you're not a major uh, church goer or book reader, uh, I guarantee you people have been using his stuff on you since 1992 with the five love <laughs> languages. And this has been a legendary book, and it's early in your ministry, early in your career, Dr. Chapman. Uh, but that is not the only pony that you have uh, put on the field. You have just come out with an incredibly awesome book that is just even more practical, in my opinion, than the five love languages, called Five Traits of a Healthy Family, Steps You Can Take to Grow Closer, Communicate Better, and Change the World Together. So this is another conversation, and I'm excited about where this is going to go. We're going to review the book, not as a replacement of the book, uh, but just to showcase how awesome this book is. And then uh, I've got a couple of questions that I really wanted to share with you that, uh, in my opinion, nobody else is asking you. So I want to uh, make this as practical as possible because um, there's a lot of theoretical books, and I appreciate how you write. My goal today is to help people avoid a shipwreck. Um, I'm not a sailor, but I've seen a lot of movies about sailing, and I talk to a lot of people in the Navy. There are a few ways to sail a ship right, and there are a lot of ways to sail a ship wrong. So, Reverend Dr. Gary Chapman, thank you for being on our show today. Well, thank you, Mark. It's great to be with you. All right. So, this incredible book, Five Traits of a Healthy Family, I read a lot, and I love listening to a lot of podcasts, and uh, I love having books that I can just hand over to somebody. And in all honesty, I'm not doing this to shamelessly plug this book. I don't get any money for any of the books that are sold. If you would like to send money to me for every book that's sold, you certainly can. I'm a pastor. <laughs> we cash any check sent our way. But this book is, uh, is probably on my top five list. Uh, number one, of course, is the Bible. <laughs> and I'm going to count that all as one book. Otherwise, every other book is in the triple digits. But Dr. Chapman, this book, Five Traits of a Healthy Family, is just one of those books, top five, that I just... I'm already buying extra copies and handing to people who seem that they're just sort of struggling to sail that ship right. So if, I guess, is it okay if we go ahead and not uh, replace the book, but showcase the book, kind of get into the practical steps? Absolutely, Mark. I'm with you. Let's go. All right. So a quick recap of your book. You, uh, like you did the five love languages, it seems like you like the number five. I do. I do. I like it very much. <laughs> is that because of five fingers? It's easy to remember five. What's the deal with the number five? Yeah, it's easy to count to five. I can do that all the time. Count to five. I'm not good <laughs> on math beyond that. Okay. <laughs> no shoes come off to count to number five. Uh, I've noticed, I've noticed you definitely have a, a thing for the number five. And I, as I was reading this book, five traits of a healthy family, I, I realized I could remember five. Uh, a lot of these sermons that you'll hear, it'll be like a, uh, eight easy steps to tie your shoes or like the nine simple <laughs> things to resolve a conflict or the 16 clear steps to launch a business. I, I can't remember that many. You got to write it down, but five, that's easy. So here's the five. Uh, the first one of the five traits of a healthy family is families who develop an attitude of service, uh, husbands and wives who build intimate relationships. Number three, parents who guide their children. Number four, children who obey and honor their parents. And number five, husbands and fathers who love and support and lead uh, their families. So that's a quick recap. And if it's all right, I'd like to kind of go through a slow savoring of uh, each of these five steps. So that way people can say, oh, okay, that's the one I'm going to remember. Yeah, surely. 
And a book like this, a podcast like this, is one of those ones where you read it through and you just, in my opinion, you pick one and then you focus on that one and then you revisit it and you, you pick the second one. So uh, let's just kind of jump into families who develop an attitude of service. Now, a thing that you've got going through this entire book is you had a person named John who came up and said, hey, can I just like live with you for a year? Was it a year? Yeah, for a year. Mm -hmm. He just he was a recent college grad and uh, he had uh, moved to our city with two or three other guys and spent the summer after he graduated. Uh, they were kind of a discipleship group. They had met in college and uh, they worked with us in our church for that three months. And at the end of the three months, he said to me, he had gotten a job in town as a, as a school teacher. He said, uh, Doug Chapman, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. My father was an alcoholic and da, 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 da. And he said, uh, here I am as a college graduate and I have no idea what a healthy family even look like. So could I move in with you and your wife and your two children and just live for the next year just to see what a healthy family is like? Well, I'd never had that uh, question before. <laughs> I said to him what I think every husband would say. Well, let me talk to my wife about that. <laughs> Smart man. And that is one of the five uh, traits of a healthy family. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, well, she, she liked the idea. We talked to the kids about it. They liked the idea of having a big brother in the house. So uh, Don came and lived with us for a year. And uh, he looks back on it and tells me uh, he cannot imagine what life would have been like if he had to live with us uh, because he's married now, has children of his own, you know. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good experience for us. We've never had anybody live with us since then nor before then, uh, but it was a good experience for us. So how long had you been married before John moved in? Let's see. I'm guessing uh, probably at least. 12 to 15 years. Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about your book is you're very honest. You're very honest. And you share that at the beginning, it was really hard to figure things out. And, you know, here you're talking about marriage and, you know, you go home to a marriage that, that was kind of in a shipwreck, not, not exactly sailing as straight as it could. And I love how honest you are. And the stories that you share are just so honest. And a lot of books that you read, and honestly, sometimes the Bible, you expect everybody has it all together. But I love this book that it's just like, no, I was still figuring this out. That's incredible that at 15 years, 12 to 15 years of being married, uh, a person from the outside said, I don't know what you got, but I need it. And, and that you were willing to share that and uh, bring that. That's an incredible gift. And it really is bringing in what you said about uh, one of the five traits is families who develop an attitude of service that you're willing to 24 seven um, for a year to serve a man who's not your family, not your blood. Uh, who's just in the academic community. So did your kids, uh, so I know you have this story in the book that talks about how you would rake leaves and uh, you would uh, get these, uh, get your kiddos involved in servant heartedness. Now I'm a pastor. Uh, I'm a pastor here in the St. Louis area. I've got two kiddos and they're turning out very well. And one of the things that uh, I've been happy is they just are willing to serve in all sorts of ways at church. Um, have your kiddos, as they become adults, continued that active servant heartedness? Yeah, they have. They're both grown now. My daughter is a medical doctor and she delivers high risk babies, uh, which is a huge ministry. And she has a real heart for people and the ladies, that she, the mothers that she works with. And then my son has done mission work his whole life. Uh, part of the time he was in Prague in the Czech Republic and he was in Antwerp, Belgium. Uh, and then now he and his wife live in Austin, Texas, 
but they both have a passion for helping people. You know, in Third John, there's that little statement that John made, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I think he was talking about his spiritual children, but it's also true of your biological children. When you can see them grow up and still be walking with God and have an attitude of serving people, uh, it's it's very rewarding. Uh, I think I could say I have no greater joy than that. And, and I believe, Mark, that, that this attitude of service is central, uh, it's foundational to having a healthy family because life is about serving others. And so it, it should be in the family and then go out beyond the family. So uh, that's why I put it first in the, in the five characteristics, an attitude of service. The husband is serving his wife. She's serving him. They're serving the children. As the children grow, they begin to serve each other and serve mom and dad. And then when you take it outside the family, uh, uh, that, it's just a fundamental uh, characteristic of a healthy family. And here's the thing. We choose our attitudes. We don't choose our emotions. Our emotions just come based on circumstances. But every single day we choose our attitude. And when we choose an attitude of serving other people and we have we're saying to ourselves, I'm here to follow the pattern of Jesus. He said about himself, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for others. So, yeah, I think this is fundamental in a healthy family. You know, just uh, the those references uh, to, to third John and uh, for sure, Matthew, when Jesus says that uh, it strikes me that success in life if you have kids, success in life is not just avoiding a shipwreck yourself, but to model how to sail the ship of your life better. Because at some point you want your kids to get out of the ship and get in their own little boats and uh, eventually graduate to their own ships. And essentially as a parent, as a grandparent, if you live long enough, great grandparent, you want to have a fleet of Chapmans, even if they've married into a different name. You want a fleet of Chapmans that Admiral Chapman can look back and say, I did well. Yeah. You know, Mark, one of the most sobering questions I ever asked myself when our children were growing up, and I asked it several times along the way, what if my children turn out to be like me? What if they drive a car the way I drive a car? What if they handle their money the way I handle my money? And just right on down the line, what if they turn out to be like me? And in asking that question, there were times when I made some changes in my life because there were things that I, I don't want, I don't want them to be like me in this. I want to change this. So, yeah, but because the reality is they're, they're pretty likely to turn out with your traits, <laughs> good or bad. They live what they learn and they learn what they live, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's really not about just avoiding a shipwreck in your life, but it's avoiding a shipwreck in your life and helping you avoid the shipwreck in your kids' lives. Now, of course, not every situation a kid has is a direct result of something that a parent did. So, you, you know, you can't go back and, yeah. and all that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so then the second trait that you have is husbands and wives, they build intimate relationships, yeah. uh, which isn't just for that marriage, but also you're teaching the kids, how should a man relate? How should a wife, how should a woman relate? Uh, and I love, I love, you, your book is so easy to read especially for a guy. You know, they say for women, you can take the long journey, but for the guy, as much of a booklet as possible. Yeah. And each chapter is honestly like a how-to booklet, right? Yeah. Uh, on the five steps to intimacy, um, and page 43, you actually have 
the five goals about sharing thoughts, discussing feelings, sharing time, uh, spiritual intimacy, and sharing your bodies, these, these five. And you are very practical on each of these, especially on the conversational sharing, which is extremely important, stereotypically, for women to have that emotional connection conversationally. And then for guys, oftentimes, we're a bit more focused on that physical intimacy, expecting that if the one that I get first is the one that then I'll be able to give. And you are very practical uh, on these, like, how exactly does that look? And so uh, I want to revisit this in a little bit, um, but I just love that you are so practical on these are the five things uh, of the ways that you can connect, because oftentimes we're aware of one or two, you know, like the love languages, which you wrote, uh, you know, you might be really good at gifts, but then somebody's screaming for quality time or words of affirmation. And you're like, here's this really cool thing I've been saving up for for six weeks, you know, and then they're like, but I don't care. You know, then it causes space. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of men, when they hear the word intimacy, they automatically think of the sexual part of marriage. Uh, And so what I'm saying is an intimate marriage is a lot more than just physical. It is physical, to be sure. But it's intellectual, as you say. We're sharing our thoughts, our feelings, our, our emotions, our desires, our visions for the future. And we're sharing our spiritual walk with God and we're doing things socially with other people. Uh, so it's all of that. And if you don't have those other areas of intimacy, uh, it's going to impact negatively the physical aspect of the relationship. So learning how to have an intimate marriage and relationship uh, is, is, is just essential in a healthy marriage. You can have a, you can have a marriage without it, but it, it's not a healthy marriage without it. So I just, uh, if I could, uh, just talk about Family Shield Ministries just a little bit uh, before we jump right back into this. Um, this episode with Dr. Gary Chapman is only a part of what Family Shield Ministries does. Uh, FSM helps families walk together with each other and with God. Uh, we focus on equipping families to witness to each other and to the world around us. Uh, we air on 52 radio stations, including all the podcast forms. We've also uh, been excited to coordinate with other educational evangelism projects. Now that includes Faith Family Reunion that serves parents with prodigals who are in their own little shipwreck. So now all this good that we do, we do together with you. We're a self-supporting, listener-funded ministry, and we really do, if you're listening to this, we really do need your prayers. We need your support, your generosity, and those sacrifices that that we make. Uh, Those allow us to share the gospel with those who do not yet know Jesus and to empower Christians to serve and witness. We ask that you would pray for us. Please send a donation. Now, that can be a one-time gift or a monthly gift at www.familyshieldministries.org. No gift is too little or too large when they're put in the hands of the Savior. Now, let's get back to our conversation with one of my uh, one of my um, intellectual contributing role models. Uh, just if I could write anywhere near what you've been able to offer the world, Dr. Dick Gary Chapman, it would just be uh, the world would be a visibly better place. Uh, and you have made the world a better place and you just keep pumping out great content. Good job. Well, thank you. Thank you. Almost all of my writing grows out of my counseling. It's just an overflow of what I've learned in the counseling office through all these years. I have noticed I'm better at marriage because I've got a wife and two kids. Uh, I'm better at marriage when, uh, every time I do a marriage counseling session with one of our people, (laughs) I'm like, Oh yeah, I gotta be more intentional about that. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So as we jump on the the rest of these excellent principles that you got, the five traits of a healthy family, uh, You uh, the third one is parents who guide their children. And I, I can't really uh, summarize everything you put in the book, but there was a question I, I would love for you to kind of illustrate and highlight for our folks. Now, a guide is different than a, um, than a dictator. 
you know, someone's like, you're going to do this because, you know, you're, you're my kid. It's also different than a consultant, you know, like, I, just, I don't want to get in the way. I'm going to let my kid bloom as their own little special flower. Uh, how would you uh, describe a guide compared to not a dictator, but not a consultant? What would you, how would you kind of toss that out? Well, you know, I think as in all things, God is our model. And because God loves us, God has given us some guidelines. He said some things, don't do these things. He says in other places, do these things. Every, uh, every command uh, that God has ever given us grows out of his love for us. If you want to have the best possible life on earth, if God says don't do it, don't do it. If he says do it, do it. So as parents, we serve in a similar role to our children. You know, parents are older than children, and hopefully we have more wisdom. So we want to give them guidelines. There's some things we don't do. There's some things we do. But with every guideline that we make, we should communicate to them that what the consequences will be if they don't follow the guidelines. And they will learn then how to become obedient. They will learn to respect authority. Uh, it's not a harsh authority. It's a loving authority, just like God's for us. He's the authority, but he's a loving authority. And so uh, just to give an example, uh, let's say we that, that we have a rule that we don't throw the ball inside the house. The ball is to be used in the backyard, not not in the house. Now, if you happen to throw the ball in the house, then it has to go in the trunk of the car for two days. And if you break something, you'll have to pay for it out of your allowance. Okay? Kid gets that. They understand that. So they do throw the ball in the house. You don't have to get mad and angry and yell at them and say, I told you not to throw the ball in the house. No, you just say, honey, remember the rule? We don't throw the ball in the house. So you know what has to happen, right? And they start crying and they nod their head. Yes, they know. Okay, let's walk out to the car and put the ball in the trunk. And I don't know the vase that was broken. I don't know what it cost. We'll have to find out. I'll have to start taking it out of your allowance. But listen, I love you so much. And most of the time you keep the rules. I'm proud of you. You know, you 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 let them suffer the consequences. And chances are they'll never throw that ball in the house again. It's that it's when we operate on our emotions, and if we're you know, if we're upset already and a child breaks our guideline, then we just yell and scream at them. Or 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 if or if we're in a good mood. They can break the break the rule, and we just say, "Oh well, it's okay. It's okay this time." And and they don't they don't know how to respect authority. You know, Mark talking to public school teachers, many of them have said to me, "Gary, I spend half of my time trying to keep discipline in the classroom because they don't respect the teacher." So we we have to, as parents, give guidelines that we think are for the child's good, and then let them know the consequences and let them suffer the consequences. In the midst of all that, we're showing love to them. Uh, and children that grow up in that kind of home are typically going to grow up to be healthy children. And it really does play into your fourth trait about obeying and honor their parents. You know, a lot of people get chafed about uh, Ephesians 5, how it talks about how uh, wives and husbands are supposed to submit to each other, but then like husbands seem to be in this higher role. But when you look at it, it's actually in a much more lower role. It's like, I'd rather be a wife. <laughs> but uh, a great conversation then is when your husband looks like Jesus or acts like Jesus, uh, treats the church, uh, it becomes easy, a lot easier to say, oh, okay, he does have my, he does hear me, he does see me. 
It's like the movie Avatar, like, I see you, like, I really see you. Uh, yeah. That kind of parent, kids want to be around the parent you're describing. Absolutely. Absolutely. They they grow up loving their parents because they see that their parents have their best interests in mind. And wanting to be around you. Yeah. Because a part of life is sharing life, just sharing life daily, you know, whether it's playing or whether it's uh, talking or whether it's reading books together or discussing books together or eating meals together. And the family is about, you know, we're, we're here for each other. And at some point, your kids are going to grow up and they don't have to talk to you. They don't have to visit you. They don't have to help you with stuff. They don't have to even see if you're still alive. They don't have to. And at some point, your parenting is going, you know, our parenting is going to determine whether our kids want to be around us or whether our kids are going to avoid us and just ignore our phone calls. You're exactly right. And, you know, one of the tragedies today in our culture is that there are so many parents who have a fractured relationship with their adult children. And it's not always the, the parents' fault totally. You know, I understand that because adult children often make mistakes and, and they don't don't want to be with the parents for whatever reason. But, you know, I think if we have a healthy family as they grow up, it tends to carry over into adulthood. And we, we continue to be close to each other, even though we might be half a world away geographically, but we keep up with each other. And so uh, that, that's what we want is, is to have a healthy family while the children are at home. And then it continues to be a healthy family as they grow up and, and many times get married themselves and have their children. Uh, so we want to be models for them on how to be parents uh, when they grow up. And, and chances are that they're going to follow our pattern, whether it's good or whether it's bad. They're going to lean toward that pattern without the help of God. If it's a negative pattern, God can help them change that pattern. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be like their parents were if their parents were not godly people. So something I have noticed as a pastor, so I've been a pastor for 17 years so far, uh, something I've noticed as a pastor is oftentimes, not always, but almost always, uh, you have much more counseling experience than I do, so I definitely love to hear you weigh in on this, but I've noticed people often relate to God the way they related to their dad. Uh, so, you know, if the dad was heavy-handed or always attacking or critical or negative, then they grow up thinking like God is a judge, that he's on them, he's going to chase them down, he's going to not a delight. But I've also noticed uh, people who have a dad who is very passive, not really involved, just kind of watches TV and eats potato chips or is just gone. Um, well, the passive dad... Uh, those kiddos just sort of say, well, you know, what do I care about God? He doesn't do anything for me. I don't do anything for him. Uh, the dad that's always working. Um, I've seen people who grow up with a dad who's always working. In their head, they tried to be good enough, but they know they'll never be valuable enough. So they just sort of declare independence. Like, just like dad, he left me alone. I'll leave God alone and we'll just do our own thing. But I have seen people who have a deep faith just a deep faith, although it can come out of trauma. Uh, oftentimes, people who have just like this deep, unshakable faith, uh, they had a really good relationship with your dad. So I'm going to stop talking. I'd love for you to kind of weigh in on that experience or, or how you've observed that. Yeah, I'll just give you an example. I uh, was at a, a funeral. I was at the grave, graveside. And I didn't know this family well, but they had asked me to be there and, and help them. After it was over and most of the crowd had left, I said to the young man who, uh, who to me was about 25 years old, that was my guess, 25 years old. 
and uh, we got into a conversation, and I said, uh, "How how how was you your relationship with your dad?" And he said, "I never knew my dad." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, well, "My dad had a job that kept him out of town all week long. He would leave on Monday, and he'd work out outside of town. He came in on Friday night, and he said all day Saturday he played golf with his friends, and he said Sunday." Uh, he would sleep late, and then he would watch uh, football all afternoon. And he said, uh, I never got to know my dad. And I walked away with tears in my eyes. And I thought, how sad. The father took care of the finances, and he paid for his way through college. He shared that. With me. He said he paid my way through college. I'm, I'm grateful for that. And he said he supported the family. But he said, I never, I never got to know my dad. So I think for all of us as fathers, to periodically, we need to reflect upon how much time we're spending with our children and what are we doing with our children. You know, I, I've been a pastor for many, many years also, mainly an associate pastor. So when our kids were in, in school at home, I didn't take counseling appointments after three o'clock. I would be home at three o'clock when our kids got home from school and I would spend a couple of hours with them, you know, after school. Now, some nights I had to go back to the church for meetings, as you well know, but, but, you know, and I know a pastor can somewhat control the schedule more than people that work an eight to five job or whatever, you know, but whatever type job we have, I think we have to think in terms of what are our priorities. And for me, the priorities of a father should be to spend time with his children if he has children and have a positive influence on those children. But it takes time to have a positive influence. So, yeah, it's a, it's an important issue. And talking to dad, spending time. So I'm also a volunteer police chaplain, uh, and I love lifting weights. And um, something I've noticed is sometimes dads try to turn their kids into a super soldier or a super version to them, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important. If your kid likes art, draw a picture. Is it manly to push a crayon around a paper with a four-year-old? Honestly? Yes. Way more manly than <laughs> go lift that or start a fire. Here's a rock in a tree. Go start it. Go build a house. It's like, oh. so Dr. Chapman, we are just about at the end of our conversation time. Uh, and I would love to um, just encourage people to, uh, to get this book, Five Traits of a Healthy Family. And if, uh, if it's absolutely terrible after you bought it, anybody listening, uh, please mail it to me because I know some people who <laughs> would uh, definitely benefit from it. This is, and it's one of these books where you could just read one chapter and just think about it, try to put it in play for about a month, uh, and then just read the next chapter. So Dr. Chapman, thank you so much for everything that you've been writing, everything that you've been doing, and just uh, just being a blessing to the church. Well, thank you, Mark. It's good to be with you today, and I appreciate what you're doing. You know, it's pastors all over the country who are touching so many lives. So thanks for your faithfulness, and may God continue to give you wisdom. Thank you, sir. All right, so this is Family Shield Ministries. Uh, to get more treasures, you can find us at familyshieldministries.org. And from Dr. Chapman and me, the Lord be with you. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, 7045 Parkwood Street, St. Louis, Missouri, 63116. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Family Shield.